you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, Thanks so much, Guy, for your invitation to uh, come and to speak today. A slain lamb standing and worthy. Revelation 5 begins with the throne, the 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 throne of God, and in the right hand of God seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The church in Revelation was a small and persecuted church with no public meetings, no legal rights, no protections, and many enemies under the totalitarian Roman Empire, which dominated the Mediterranean world, the Middle East, and Europe. They were in survival mode, I think. 
And the message of Revelation is that even if God's people are in a survival mode, there is an all-powerful God. And this all-powerful God has a plan for the world, for the cosmos, for the universe. And this plan for the world, for the cosmos, for the universe, was written on this scroll, a uh, uh, rolled-up piece of paper, sealed with wax, seven wax seals. And the question is, who can further God's plan for the world? I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? It's a haunting question, isn't it? Who is worthy to do this? Notice the question isn't, who is powerful enough to do it? Who is well-known enough to do it? Who is influential enough to do it? Who's wealthy enough to do it? The kind of questions our society asks. Who is popular enough? Who is attractive enough? Who is beautiful enough? Who is the great celebrity who can do it? No, the question is, who is worthy? What a haunting and what a deep question that is. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Well, the answer to this haunting question, who is worthy, is a complicated one. The answer is both a lion and a lamb. It's not often you find lions and lambs together. And when you do find them together, Normally, the lamb is lunch. This is a vision of Jesus described as a lion because of his power, the root of David, the Jewish Messiah. And he is the one who has conquered, we read in verse 5. The lion has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And you imagine a lion conquering by sharp claws and great power and great speed. But how did the lamb conquer? How did the lion conquer? By acting as a lamb and by being slain as a lamb, suffering as a sacrifice, dead but now alive, standing and powerful. Well, my brother had a farm and every year the ewes, the lady sheeps, sheep I should say, gave birth to little lambs and uh, one of my jobs was to go up uh, to the farm to help with the lambing as it was called which meant going out in the middle of the night to a to a paddock in which there were ewes lady sheep standing around going bah! Uh, and bah! and that's well, much the same but that was that kind of noise and then uh, if they had their little lamb, newborn lamb next to them, busy drinking uh, gustily, that was fine. 
But some of the lambs had got separated from their mothers and they were not going bear, but going bear, bear. And you had to pick them up uh, out of the mud and wander around the paddock and look for a ewe who didn't have a lamb attached and uh, put the lamb in front of the ewe to see she could sniff it. And if it was her, her little lamb, then everybody was happy. Uh, and if it wasn't, you plodded around the paddock looking for the ewe which had lost its lamb. And sadly, of course, uh, during the night, the cold and the wet, some of the little lambs separated from their mothers had died and were lying in the mud. Lambs, when they were dead, look very dead. But this lamb, though it has been slain, slaughtered, is now standing. That is, alive, not just alive, but standing and powerful. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, all powerful, all seeing. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, our prayers, actually. What a wonderful vision of God and of Christ. It takes us out of our daily concerns, our daily lives, our plans and our worries, our fears and difficulties and hopes, doesn't it? It's a, it's a bigger vision, a greater vision, a glorious vision, a majestic, magnificent and compelling and attractive vision of reality, God and his son, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. But that's not the end of the vision. There's more. There is a blood-ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. A blood-ransomed people from every tribe, language, people and nation. Blood ransomed because they're saved by the death, by the, uh, the blood shed by the Lord Jesus Christ. They're ransomed because they're rescued by the death of Christ. And they are people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the vision is not just a vision of God and of Christ, but of Christ's people, of God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. It's a big picture of a big church from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Do you know that the largest, longest-lasting, international, multicultural, multi-ethnic organization in the world today 
is God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are five times as many believers in Christ alive today than there were in 1900? I know the church in the West has been shrinking, but certainly growing magnificently in Africa and in Asia. And do you know that Christ came and died and rose again to achieve God's great global gospel plan of people from every tribe, language, people and nation? You remember, don't you, that Jesus told his disciples to make disciples of all nations. So here's God's big plan of a big people, the church of Jesus Christ, gathered around the throne of God, worshipping God and worshipping the Lamb. Do you know that the full gospel message in the Bible is that Christ came to create and gather God's people? Many people, I find, are converted by a bit of that gospel, and the bit of that gospel by which they're converted is that God has a wonderful plan for your life and Jesus came and died and rose again for you so you can know God and you can come into God's presence and receive God's Holy Spirit, forgiveness and eternal life. Well, that is true. And if you became a Christian with that gospel, well, that's wonderful. I'm so pleased you did. But actually... The Bible opens us to a bigger gospel than that. For the way the Bible describes the gospel is very rarely in terms of God's love for an individual. Mostly it's in terms of God's love for the world and Christ dying for his people. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Or Jesus said that he came uh, to serve and to give his life as a ransom, not for one, but for many. Christ came and gave, loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, Paul does say in Galatians 2, uh, he does write of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's great to know. But actually, there's a bigger plan, a bigger purpose, a bigger vision. And that is that, God came to, that Jesus came to create God's people. For the Jesus who said, make disciples of all nations, also said, I will build my church. So the church is not just a kind of add-on to help individual Christians uh, stay in good shape, like a gym. Uh, the church is central to God's plan. God's long-term plan was to create and to gather his own people. Peter writes this in his first letter. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special 
possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now let me say again, if the gospel by which you were converted was God loves you and Christ died for you, that is true, that is wonderful. And if you believed that truth, that gospel, then you are genuinely a Christian. Praise God for that. But that's actually just a small part of God's bigger plan. Jesus' bigger plan, I will build my church, make disciples of all nations. For do you know that the Bible is actually addressed to all of God's people, not to individuals? I, I believe you can buy a Bible which has your own name put in all the way through, which is rather nice, if a little complicated in some stories where you have to play all the parts at the same time. <laughs> but uh, if that's what you want to do, well, have a nice holiday doing it. The big story of the Bible you see is God's uh, story of the Bible is God's greatest concern, we discover, is the welfare of his people, Abraham's descendants, the Israel of God. God's people with his king ruling over them and the prophets correcting them. And then Jesus came, not just to help individuals, though we love those stories, but actually to gather the 12 disciples, like the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples to be the foundation of his church, built on the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. Then Paul comes and, and, and brings, uh, makes it clear that the Gentiles as well as Jews are among God's people. The Old Testament prophets prophesied to God's people. Jesus preached to God's people. Acts is about the growth of God's people in Christ. And the New Testament letters are written to God's people. Ah, you'll say, what about Timothy and Titus and Philemon? Yes, but if you read them carefully, you'll notice there's a greeting for God's people as well. There is a throne... A slain lamb standing and worthy and worshipped. And in this vision, a blood ransomed people from every tribe, language, people and nation. Yes, God is a God of small things. Not a sparrow falls to the ground, Jesus says, but your heavenly father knows about it. And God is concerned about your life as a Christian believer. God is concerned that you come to Christ, that you grow in Christ and progress in Christ and learn more and more and become conformed to the image of Christ, transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of his Son, of God's Son, from one degree of glory to another. God is a God of small things, but also a God of big things. A big church for a big world. So what about you? What's your place in all of this? If you have been converted to Christ, if you are a Christian believer, then I want to ask you three vitally important questions. Have you been, you have been converted to Christ, have you been converted to commit and serve Christ's church. 
Have you been converted to and committed to serve Christ's worldwide church? And have you been committed and converted to serving God's great global gospel plan? Have you been converted to Christ's church, to Christ's worldwide church, and to God's great global gospel plan? I met some old friends recently at a party. Uh, they used to be members of the church uh, I belong to. Uh, I hadn't seen them for about uh, 35 years, I think it was. And I said, oh, what church are you going to now? And they said, oh, well, we used to go to a church in Caulfield, but then COVID came along and so we stopped going to church and we really haven't got going again. We just, we just sit at home. Well, that's not very good, is it? It's the kind of response you get from somebody who just thinks, uh, well, it's just enough for me to be a Christian on my own. Whereas actually, God's, one of God's great gifts is to make us one of his people. And God also wants us not only to be one of God's people, but also committed to the worldwide church and God's great gospel plan. So let me ask you a series of questions. Have you been converted to Christ's church? Are you present with your church every Sunday? Are you praying regularly for your church? Are you an active member of your church? Serving as well as being served. Are you serving sacrificially in your church? Are you giving financially and sacrificially to your church? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of your church? For serving and suffering are the true signs of love. Are you committed to your church as God and Christ are committed to your church? First question then, have you been converted and committed to serve Christ's church? Second question, have you been converted and committed to serve Christ's worldwide church? If you're a member of this church, I trust and hope you are committed to it. But have you been con converted and committed to serve Christ's worldwide church? Are you praying for other churches in Australia? Are you praying for persecuted Christians around the world? Would you be willing to move to outback Australia or rural or regional Australia to support Christians and their churches? My friend in Alice Springs is looking for people to go to Alice Springs to live in the community and to join that church. You're up to date on world news, I hope. Are you up to date on news of the church around the world 
in different countries around the world? Are you loving your overseas Christian neighbors as well? How are you contributing to the welfare of Christians beyond this church? So has that, that great vision in Revelation 5 actually impinged on you and changed the way you live and think about being a Christian? Or is it just like a fairy story? Have you been converted to Christ's church? I hope the answer is yes. Have you been converted to Christ's worldwide church? I hope the answer is yes. Have you been converted and committed to God's great global gospel plan? If so, what is your commitment? Are you a member of a missionary society such as the Church Missionary Society or Pioneers or Wycliffe Bible Translators or the Overseas Missionary Fellowship? If you join a missionary society, uh, then you learn to, you get information about the missionaries so you can pray for them every day. Uh, you get information about the ministry they're doing and of course you can give money to support that ministry. Are you praying and giving sacrificially to support missionaries overseas? Or has Revelation chapter 5 not seeped down to you yet? Are you praying that God would raise up gospel workers for his great worldwide harvest? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Well, that's the second Lord's Prayer, isn't it? The first Lord's Prayer is our Father in heaven. Here's another prayer that Jesus told us to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, that is God, to send out workers, that is gospel workers, into his harvest field. Is that prayer on your lips regularly? Do you know that there's a great shortage of full-time trained gospel workers here in Australia? Do you know that there's a great shortage of full-time trained gospel workers in our world? The Joshua Project gives information on uh, the state of the growth of the gospel and they tell me that there are nearly 8 billion people in the world today and over 2 billion have very limited access to Bible, church or Christians. Perhaps the Bible is not translated into their language. There's no, no Christians nearby they can go and talk to. That is, two out of every eight people in the world don't have easy access to becoming a Christian. And we have churches on lots of street corners. Well, we know what shortages are like in our society, don't we? Well, I'm told we're short of general practitioners, teachers and healthcare workers. And how does the... We, we plan to tackle that problem? Well, the answer is, if we start now, 
inviting and selecting and encouraging and training in 10 years time, there'll be lots more GPs, teachers and health workers and so on. But only if we intend to do it. It doesn't just happen. When I was the principal at Ridley, uh, churches used to ring up, ministers used to ring up and say, look, we really need a youth worker. Have you got any spare youth workers? And uh, I would say, well, I'm sorry, but I think they're, they're all booked for next year. Um, uh, why don't you send someone to Ridley to be trained to become a youth worker? Oh, well, I hadn't thought of that. Uh, how long is it since you've sent someone to be trained up for full-time gospel ministry from your church? Oh, well, <laughs> I can't remember. But where, where will workers for the harvest field come from, if not from our churches, if not from this church? Those future workers are present members of this church, in the youth group, in your children's program, sitting in this building. Now, I'm really pleased that City on a Hill has a growth plan. It's excellent. And I encourage you to be committed to it if you're a member of this church. But in addition to the City on a Hill growth plan, we need God's big vision, which is the vision God gave us in Revelation chapter 5, of a vast multitude from every tribe, language, people and nation gathered around the throne. Here are some of the opportunities. You could work in Outback Australia. You could be a youth worker. You could be a church planter, a church minister, a pastoral worker, a prison chaplain, an aged care chaplain, a chaplain in Army, Navy or Air Force, a youth worker in ministry to university students, a Christian writer, a Bible translator, or you could train up to teach in a Bible college or theological college. Great need for those people, particularly overseas. So here's the vision, a slain land standing and worthy and worshipped and a vast blood ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I'm asking, where are you how do you respond to that vision? Have you been converted to belong to Christ's church? Have you been converted to care for and to pray for Christ's worldwide church? Have you been converted to work for and pray for God's great global gospel plan? Are you praying fervently that God would raise up workers for his harvest? For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Have you considered offering to go to serve in God's great global gospel plan? I hope and pray that some of you from this church, God will raise up to be workers in his worldwide harvest in Australia or overseas. I pray that God will lay that burden and opportunity and joy on your heart. 
that she'll take time to be properly trained to do that ministry. And then you'll be ready to serve Christ in this ministry in Australia or overseas. I pray and hope that God would raise up some of you from this church to be full-time trained gospel workers. But all of you, but all of you should be praying that God will raise up these workers from this church. Pray the Lord of the harvest, Jesus said, that he would raise up laborers for his harvest. I met a lovely missionary who'd worked in India. She told me that uh, she and her husband had prayed that 12 of the young, their young people in their youth ministry would grow up to be gospel leaders in India. And then she said, I wish we'd prayed for 24. Well, when I was a minister at St. Jude's, I prayed for 50 people to be raised up to be gospel workers, but I wish I'd prayed for 100 or 200. God is certainly calling you to pray that he would raise up gospel workers. And it's possible that God is calling you to serve as a full-time gospel worker somewhere in the world. If you're thinking about that possibility or have been for a while or perhaps today's the first time, then I appeal to you to take it seriously and pray and ask God to show you as you read the Bible what you should do with your life and ask your friends to pray that God would open the door for this ministry if that's right for you and talk to one of the ministry team here and get their advice. Uh, and... Christian parents, let me say, if your child comes to you uh, say, saying they're thinking about this possibility, don't discourage them. A uh, good friend of mine felt called to gospel ministry and he was seven years old. <laughs> so God does start some people quite young. So don't discourage your children. Rather pray that God would raise up one of your children as a full-time trained gospel worker. And when you're thinking about this, don't, for goodness sake, say to God, well, uh, you, you put forward a suggestion in triplicate, and I will consider it and give you my response in six months' time. That's no way to treat God. What you should say to God is, dear God, make me the person you want me to be. Place me where you want me to serve you. And prepare me to do the good works you want me to do. That's saying to God, I'm in your hands. Do with me what you like. Make me the person you want me to be. Place me where you want me to serve you. And prepare me to do the good works you want me to do. It's a big prayer. A risky prayer, but the right prayer to pray to our great God.
a great vision of a great God, a slain lamb standing worthy and worshipped, blood-ransomed people from every tribe, language, people and nation. And what about you? If you're willing now to make a commitment or to reaffirm your commitment to Christ's church and Christ's worldwide church and God's great global gospel plan, would you please stand? If you're ready now to reaffirm or to make your commitment to Christ's church, to Christ's worldwide church and God's great gospel plan, would you please stand? Oh, gracious God, we thank you that you love us just as we are. But you also have great plans for our lives. Please make us the people you want us to be. Please place us where you want us to serve you. And please prepare us to do the good works you want us to do. For Christ's sake and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.